Well, good morning, everyone. Some uh, news for you from Bulgaria. They're actually meeting online this morning. They're not, uh, they're not able to gather at all um, in, in their buildings, which is obviously a great disappointment. And it's almost certain that Rob and I won't be able to go out next week to the opening of Varatsa Church, which is a huge disappointment to them. They've got this lovely big new building and they can't meet in it. How frustrating that is uh, for them. But uh, yeah, just be remembering them in your prayers. There's a sense of irony about things that are going on at the moment, aren't there? I'm in the age group where you should be looking after me and looking out for me and all the rest of it, and yet I might be called in um, to my old job. Irony in all that, isn't there? Yeah. Anyway, we're looking at um, the Sermon on the Mount again this morning, and uh, if you want to turn to Matthew in chapter 7, we're looking at the first 12 verses from there. And I've I've, uh, um, named this sermon this morning, How Much More? How Much More? So, Matthew and chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. I don't know if you've bought a new appliance recently. Um, I've got uh, a leaflet here. They're interesting, aren't they? You, you look at them and you take ages finding where, where it's English for a start. And then you've got all these do's and don'ts and then they're repeated throughout. And it's like, I've just read that on the previous page. And there's lots of do's and don'ts that we have to do, don't we? Well, last week we heard of do's and don'ts quite pertinent for the week that we've just lived through. Don't lay up treasure on earth. So if you put money on the stock market, you're a bit sad this morning. And don't be anxious We've been reminded of that last week and this morning. And also the positive do's from last week. Do lay up treasure in heaven. Do seek first the kingdom of God. So in this passage this morning, we've got three do's and three don'ts that we're going to be looking at. And don't be worried, I'm I'm not going to give equal time to these. There's six points, but they'll, they'll merge along and we'll get through them. Three do's and three don'ts. When we look at Jesus' sermon as a whole, it's all about relationships. It's about relationships with one another, and it's about relationships with 
our Heavenly Father. And you know, I've been deeply impacted as I've studied um, these words over the last few weeks and listened to the various messages. You know, there's a saying which I've said before, when the preacher points his finger, there's three fingers pointing back at him. And that's how I feel. I'm going to be pointing the finger at some things in our lives this morning, but actually I'm pointing them at my own heart as well because they're deeply challenging, some of these words. And the first words are in the verse, the first verse that we read there. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. These words are like a, a boxer's punch, aren't they? They hit you where it hurts. Who of us don't judge? We cannot ignore these words of Jesus. However, we need to understand what this word judge means. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye and ignore things that are wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't speak up when things are clearly evil and sinful. It doesn't mean that we suspend critical analysis of situations or let everything just flow over us. It doesn't mean that we're passive and stop making judgment calls at all. We read in verse 16 that Jesus said, Don't give to dogs what is holy. And don't throw pearls in front of pigs. Jesus is referring to people here, not animals. And he's saying that of the people. Jesus told his disciples on another occasion, when you're not received, shake off the dust from your shoes. And later in chapter 7, Jesus warns us to beware of false prophets. Jesus calls the religious people of the day a brood of vipers. These words from Jesus' mouth sound pretty judging, don't they? The truth is that Jesus, of course, never spoke an ungodly, judgmental word in his life because he was a sinless son of God who loved all people and loves all people. So we clearly need to understand how to make godly value judgments, those judgments which are right. And of course, the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount help us in this. Give an example. If you see a man walking towards you, holding a baseball bat, wielding a baseball bat, you could quite rightly make a judgment call of whether to cross the road or to stay on the same path. It's important to be sensible, to know the right thing to do. The word judge here is actually a verb. So to judge someone means to speak a judgment against them. So in the illustration I've given you, you'd be quite right to cross the road if you felt unsafe. But to judge that man by condemning him to being a person who commits grievous bodily harm or worse, you would be judging him. You see, the difference is what is in our heart. What is our heart saying? Is it condemning people? We need to make a distinction between a sinful action and the person. In the same way, if someone has lied to you, if you called them a liar, that will be condemning and would be judging. To say that on that occasion they did not tell the truth would be a godly judgment. In that way, you would not condemn them to being a liar. We so often fail to see the difference between a sinful action and the person. And that's what it's all about. Judging, of course, can be subtle. 
We so often judge on appearances, don't we, or facial expressions, or misunderstanding someone's behavior or reaction. We make judgments so often with minimal knowledge or understanding. It is the self-righteousness in our hearts that judges wrongly, that despises others. That is the pharisaical spirit that Jesus was addressing in this passage and which we can fall into ourselves. To judge here means to condemn or to pass a harsh judgment. In doing that, we assume the office of a judge. We become a judge and a jury and condemn and sentence that person. Jesus never came to condemn the world. Neither must we. When Jesus made judgments, he held love for that person in his heart. And God is the judge of all things. God is the right person to judge, not us. Romans 2 verse 5 says, There is a day coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God is holy and his judgments are correct. They're righteous, they're true for all men and all women. So we are to allow God to judge. Jesus goes further and says the measuring stick we judge others by will be the same measuring stick that will be used against us. It will be the same standard. It will be the same proportion. John Stott gave this illustration from In the Magistrate's Court. If you enjoy occupying the bench, you enjoy being the judge, we must not be surprised to find ourselves in the dock. Jesus then gives us this hilarious picture to illustrate the point. This is great material if you're a cartoonist. Jesus, being a carpenter, would have known all about specks of wood dust in the eye and how painful they are when they get stuck in your eye or under your eyelid. When we judge others, we can be oblivious to our own faults so often. I have done, I confess, get outraged at people driving at 45 miles an hour in a 30-mile zone. What are they doing? And yet, I might be driving at 35. If both of us were stopped by a traffic cop, we would be measured by the same standard. We would both would have broken the law. You know, we treat other people's shortcomings so differently to our own. We quickly judge. I readily and easily see another person's faults and somehow excuse my own. And I guess you're no different to me. Someone has written, another person's faults we see easily, but my own faults seem invisible. Another person's faults are of utmost importance to me. My own faults seem insignificant and even excusable. John Stott again said, No human being is qualified to be the judge of his fellow human being, for we cannot read each other's hearts or assess each other's motives. Jesus is warning his disciples, his listeners to this sermon and to us not to judge. And in this picture, we're given two more don'ts as well. The second don't is don't act in a superior manner. Don't feel proud and think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't be pleased when you hear 
of a failing of another person or something negative about someone else. This does not come from a loving heart. And the third don't we have here is don't be a hypocrite. The word hypocrite is an interesting word. It comes from the acting world. It has that implication of playing the part of another person or putting on a mask and being someone different, not being yourself. I watched a documentary recently about Queen Elizabeth I, who reigned in the late 1500s, the days of the Spanish Armada. And her face was so disfigured, I think from smallpox or something like that, that her ladies-in-waiting would plaster this thick, almost mask over her face uh, in the mornings before she would see anyone. If you see pictures of her, it's like this false face on her. It's like a mask that she, hit, she wore. And many of us hide behind masks. Let's think about this illustration some more that Jesus gave. Oh, brother, let me take that little speck out of your eye. Let me help you with the fault that you have. Let me help you with my superior knowledge. You know, I'm more experienced than you do. I know about these things. It doesn't matter that I've got a dirty great log in my eye. It doesn't matter that I can only see with one eye. It doesn't matter that I've got an unbalanced perspective. How can I remove another person's speck of dust with my own log in place? Hypocrisy and superiority are dark and very unattractive shadows in our hearts, and we, we, we must deal with them. Luke, in his account of this sermon, asks this question. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Of course, we do not ignore our brother with a foreign body in their eye. That would be unloving. But first, we deal with our own foreign body. We deal with our own issues and help our brother. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but we have to be on that journey. I've studied the human eye in a previous life and was trained uh, to do some simple treatments on eye, including removing, removing foreign bodies. Eyes are really, really sensitive. If you've had anything wrong with your eye, you'll, you'll know that. If you touch an eye, the, the body normally, the normal reaction is to, to withdraw and to, to remove, so closing the eyelid, that sort of thing. Tears come really quickly when you touch an eye. It's extremely, extremely delicate. Think about that as we help our brothers and sisters. Gentleness is required. When we've removed our own log, done our own self-surgery, then we can humbly help others gently and we'll be clear-sighted to do so. You know, if we're left alone to deal with the challenges of these verses, we might feel a sense of despair because, let's be honest, who of us have not judged another person. You know, if we have any integrity, we're going to put our hand up to that, aren't we? We've judged. But the fantastic news is that we have a great high priest, one who is the righteous judge, Jesus who totally understands our weaknesses and shortcomings, the judgments that we make. And Jesus is the one who has taken all of our judgments that we deserved, all the punishment that we deserved. He bore that all our sinful actions, all our sinful thoughts, all the bitter judgments, absolutely everything 
that we have meted out, he has borne that on the cross for us. He has totally dealt with that for us. Amen. His death on the cross takes it all, everything. We can walk free from all ungodly, unrighteous and unloving judgments, all hypocrisy and pride. It can be wiped clean. And through his resurrection, through his living forevermore, the very righteousness of Christ, the very love of Christ is imputed to us and attributed to us. So that's the three don'ts. So the three do's we have in the next passage, next part of this passage is ask, seek, and knock. The focus now is on our prayer relationship with Father God, how we communicate with our loving Father. In the Lord's Prayer that was in the previous chapter, we're given this model, this outline, this how-to of prayer. Now, we can use those words in prayer. They're wonderful words. I use them from time to time. But they're never to become a meaningless repetition. Like some of you of a particular age will remember, we used to recite this in school assemblies every single morning. It became totally meaningless. That is like the prayers of the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about here, who made themselves highly visible, but had empty phrases of prayer, void of any meaning from the heart. So here we have three types of prayer, asking prayer, seeking prayer, and knocking prayer. Our Father expects us to pray. He expects us to ask. It's implied very strongly here, isn't it? If we don't ask, there is something wrong in our relationship with God. Children, if you've got children, ask for things all the time. God is expecting us to ask for things all the time. We have this privilege to ask our Heavenly Father, our Papa, our Abba Father, for the things we need. Asking, seeking, and knocking prayer all come from a sure and certain promise that we will receive an answer to our prayer. That is what this passage is saying. We can put our hope and our full trust in God's promises that we will receive an answer. Did you notice how many times the theme of asking and receiving is repeated in these verses? What is our response when we notice things that are said again and again in Scripture? What's our response? We take note of them. Yes? You're very quiet this morning. I gave you an opportunity to talk there, and you didn't. Yeah, we respond. We, if when we see things repeated in Scripture, we need to take note of them. And this is repeated again and again. And Jesus is hammering home this message. Ask, seek, and knock. I brought a tent recently in the hope of going to Catalyst. <laughs> and I will have to hammer those tent pegs in to make that tent secure if my experience in my previous tent last year has anything to do with. Asking, seeking, and knocking. Jesus is really hammering this home for us. They're pillars in our prayer life. They must be there. We need all three. So we don't just ask once. We go on asking. We go on seeking. We go on knocking not trying to twist God's arm, but because he wants us to ask. 
Peter Gregg, in his book, How to Pray, which I know many of you have read or reading at the moment, says, our primary privilege as God's children is to ask audaciously and repeatedly. I like that. Ask audaciously and repeatedly for everything we need, expecting him to answer, naturally or supernaturally. There's a persistence in the language that's used here, like the persistent widow before the judge. Us persisting, us seeking, is so important. Your mobile phone, if you're connected to the internet at home with your Wi-Fi at home, as soon as you leave your, uh, the radius of your Wi-Fi, your phone starts searching. It starts searching until it connects. It's that seeking, that seeking to, to connect, that constantly seeking to connect with our Father that is so important. And the promise here is a universal promise that as we seek him, Father God will answer. It's not a case of God saying, yes, I'll answer this prayer, but not this one. No, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will open. But of course, God is not like a sugar daddy who constantly showers us with selfish requests. His promises don't come like a cosmic fruit machine. You know, you line up all the symbols, you line up all the right words, and boom, you've got your dream come true. Prayer is not a magic wand that you wave and get all your prayers answered how you want them. Every sickness healed, every bill paid, every parking space found, whatever your prayer, everything I want, what I want, when I want it. Yeah, these things happen, but prayer is not a magic wand. Father hasn't always given me everything that I have wanted. Sometimes the answer has been no, and I'm grateful for that with hindsight. But he has always answered every prayer that I've spoken, even if the answer is no. John Stott wrote that God will sometimes answer no if the things we ask for are not good in themselves or not good for us or other people. So Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, and you will receive. These words are so simple, they're, they're childlike, and they're meant to be. Abba Father, God will answer our prayers with good things. It almost offends us, doesn't it, by being so simple and yet so hard to practice. We have a good, good Father who will always give us good things. Now, I want to ground this for us and apply it to the area of salvation, to that coming to Jesus in a very personal way, that, to us being born again, us finding him. In most of our meetings, I'm pleased to say, we have people who are on a journey of finding Jesus for themselves. And that may be you this morning who are seeking to know God. And these three keys of asking, seeking, and knocking hold a powerful and universal principle for us in prayer. Be that you're praying for the day ahead or a new job or a house or an important decision that you're making or some terrible disease, whatever it is, the principles are the same. But I want to illustrate it this morning for us finding Jesus or becoming a Christian. 
these wonderful words that I love, and I never tire reading these, from John 3.16. He says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that is Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God wants to have a relationship with us all. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants all to be his children, his son, his daughter. You know, being separated from God is a result of being born into a world of sin. Separation comes from personal sin, and we live in a broken and sick world. Sin is pandemic, to use current language. It's a virus, and we've all caught it. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is life. The reality of the pandemic virus that is with us is the, at the moment is that even people in Helsham may get sick and die. If we haven't found God to be our Father before the end of our lives, whenever that may happen, then we are destined for a lost eternity. But God has created us and wants us to live in a, a life of love and worship with him, to be his children. He wants us, he wants you to know him, to find him. We find him simply by asking, by seeking, by knocking. It's the universal prayer principle. By asking him, welcoming him into our lives. Sometimes we don't have because we haven't asked have you asked this morning? Is it so simple a four-year-old can grasp that message of love that God loves us and he wants relationship with us? Jesus illustrates this asking, seeking and knocking with a picture from family life. Let me read it to you again. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone. If a child asks for bread, their father is not going to give them something that will hurt them. A good father is not going to give a stone to his child that will choke them and be of no nutritional value at all. No, a good father instead, instead of... Um, and no, a good father also if, will not give... will give an egg and a fish instead... I'm getting all muddled up here, aren't I? A good father is not going to give a scorpion or a serpent to you. Something that is poisonous. Something that will kill the child. A good father is not going to do that. I was in Thailand visiting a church um, once. I was just standing outside, um, uh, just chatting with somebody. And at the corner of my eye, this person came with this great big stick and started bashing this black thing at my foot. It was a scorpion. I was very pleased that he... He did that. A good father's not going to poison us or damage us in any way at all. Why do, I, why do we think 
A loving and good Heavenly Father would deliberately give us things that will restrict us or harm us when we believe in him. No, our Father God will give us so much more when we give our lives to him, when we turn to him, when we turn from our sin, when we leave our life, old life behind, when we follow him, when we trust him with our lives, when we trust him with our future, he will give us so much more. He gives us everlasting life. He gives us new life here, the promise of joy in his presence forever instead of darkness and guilt, instead of hell, instead of eternal separation. He wants to give us joy with him in heaven. But we have to ask. It's not about what we do or what we've done, about following rules. We haven't earned it. No, it is a gift for us. Our loving Father is answering all our prayers with a promise that we will receive. He is faithful and making a way for us. One final quote just before I finish. This again is from Peter Gregg, and I love this one. You cannot be too bad, too broken, or too boring for God's unconditional love. I love that. That applies to all of us here, doesn't it? You cannot be too bad, too broken, or even too boring. God loves you with an unconditional love. Only we can be too proud to acknowledge how desperately we need it. Ask and you will receive. Take one step to the Father and he will come running towards you. Splutter an unconvincing apology and he will hug you silent. That is the Father God that we love and we worship. Ask and you will receive. Not just enough, but much, much more through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 3 says this, he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine. Amen. Can I invite the worship team to come back? And uh, let's just have a, a moment of reflection and silence. Can I, silence, can I ask you just to stand? The worship team will start playing for us. <clears throat> a lot of ground I've covered this morning from the three don'ts to the three do's. Can we just be silent? And I encourage you to do business with God this morning.